Side Baptist Church. I started talking about that, and when we got into this aspect of worship here in the Lord's uh, Prayer and also in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, and talking about music, what is music for? And uh, that is to glorify the Lord, to exalt Him, to uh, bless Him. Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Too often, when we come to church, we come saying, man, I want a blessing. I find that that's oftentimes our mindset in the world. Well, I want to be blessed. Uh, in Jabez Prayer, uh, there's a book written about it. And when I read that book, I decided to formulate Jabez Prayer for my particular situation. Uh, Jabez prayed, Lord, bless me. Well, I began praying uh, many years ago, Lord, help me to be a blessing. I think, Mike, you and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, that I used to say that quite often around here and had gotten away from saying that, not that I haven't stopped praying it nor believing it. But uh, the truth is, is that we want to be a blessing. So when we come to church or we go to work or go to school or wherever it might be, we want to be a blessing. We need to have that in our mind. How can I be a blessing to other people? And I'll be honest with you, even though I pray that on a daily basis, 
It doesn't always enter into my mind when I go out into this world. Uh, this week I had uh, a call from our Coleman house. Brother Larry and uh, the guy had the sprinklers all array. And I thought, well, I'm going to go over there. Usually it's about a 10-minute fix. You just kind of adjust one of the sprinklers. Well, three hours later, fingernails gone, hands demolished from digging in the dirt. They finally were all fixed. There was like four or five heads that were broken. And you can imagine my attitude as I go over there. First of all, it was on a Monday. I wanted to get to... No, no, no. It was on a Tuesday. We had a staff meeting at 9.30. And I thought I'd get back to it. Well, I didn't get back to the church till about 1 or 2 in the afternoon. And all along, you know, you're thinking about these things that are going on and the inconveniences and the struggles and all that. And he and I started talking about music, Brother David, and about the different periods of music. I know what we've been talking about here. The romance, the classical, the... The uh, uh, Baroque periods and the modern or contemporary mo- movement that is taking place. And as I began to talk to him, all of a sudden God says, you know what? You might be here more than just to fix uh, sprinkler heads. How about giving this man a witness about Jesus Christ? So often we get caught up in our own aspects of things. And, and so when we come to church, and it's not just coming to church, but in every aspect of our lives, we want to be a blessing to other people. Sometimes it's inconvenient to be that, but sometimes it's tiring. Sometimes it goes beyond the norm of life. But if that's what God wants us to do, He's the, he's the controller, He's the Lord of our lives, and we need to let Him be the Lord of our lives. So when it comes to music and all, we come to be a blessing to God. Now think about that. Can we be a blessing to God? Yes or no? Yes. yes. In fact, he tells us. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I want to be a blessing to God always. So that should be in my mindset that I will bring him glory, that I will praise him or what the choir just saying. I will rejoice or the scripture verse this morning, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We can be a blessing to God. And God says, whatsoever you do, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord. And so I ask ourselves this morning. Has our worship service, has our service this morning been a blessing to God? Too often, people are wanting the services to be man-centered and to fit our needs and our desires here. And I'm telling you what, it's, it's robbing us of the joy of being a blessing to God and then a blessing to Others, that's what God wants to do. Love God, love others. That's, that's what we want to do in the choir. Not only do they want to be a blessing to God, and that should be first and foremost all of our choir members, but then a blessing to us. And I was blessed. I was blessed by the orchestras. But how about you? Say amen real loud, all right? All right, good. We like to hear amens around here. You know, it's all right to say amen. I agree. Worthy of worship. Amen. Amen. I agree. So be it. May this be in our lives. May this grab us. May it cause us to have this attention. As I was talking to this man with the sprinklers and everything and, and everything, I began to, again, understand even a little bit more of the perplexity that we're in today. 
In that, if you can imagine, Brother uh, Chuck, that for 100 to 150 years, those were the periods of music. The Baroque period lasted about 100 to 150 years. The Romantic period lasted about 100 to 150 years. The, the Classical period lasted 100 to 150 years. We still have that music around today, don't we? We have Bach, we have Beethoven, we have classical music, we have those things and all. But when we came into this modern era, uh, uh, the classic, uh, excuse me, the contemporary era or the modern era from the 1900s, as I said before, things have changed and they began to pick up their pace of change so that the music that we have today has had many different flavors. And oftentimes the flavor that you grew up with is the flavor that maybe you enjoy. Would you probably not agree with me? I mean, I go down to my folks, go down to these beautiful resorts and they play this music from the 50s. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of comical. You know, when I listen to it. Now, I don't want to insult any of you, all right? But, but it is comical. But, but you know, there was, there was the jazz period. There was the, uh, the, uh, the bebop period, the, the blues, the, uh, the bluegrass, excuse me, uh, the uh, uh, j- uh, jazz, the, the rock music, the hard rock, the heavy metal, the, the rap music. And, and pretty soon what's happened is change, 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 change. And as we are so accustomed to change and what has happened in the fiber of our character of who we are, is we want change. And it's hard to be satisfied with the status quo. And what change has done is it's created this appetite for change and uh, the bigger and better mindset. Uh, Disneyland, you know, not just to ride the Ferris wheel around, you know, just going around back and forth. That's not the Ferris wheel. Is that the Ferris wheel that goes like this? What's the thing that goes like this? The carousel. The carousel that goes like this, you know. Now we've got to go through death's mountain, through the darkness and up and down, and you left your stomach someplace in there, you know what I mean? And then it gets faster and bigger, and, and you know, that's our mindset today. And so it comes in in our worship services. And churches have bought into that trend that we need to keep up with the trends. Understand, we have come here to worship Him, to glorify Him, to exalt Him. Are there modern contemporary hymns and things like that that are well done today? Yes, absolutely. Our choir just sang a a song that was arranged recently. How Great Thou Art was done in 1950. So understand that there's still these hymns around and there are things that are being written today that exalt the Lord. And you want to make sure that the music we listen to is scriptural. It's biblical. As we come together, it is about exalting Him. Amen to that. I hope we catch ownership of this because I really find, and we've all bought into it, change. I mean, I, I think I said on, on Wednesday night, I talked a little bit about this, that, you know, I have an iPhone 6 uh, S. I was the iPhone 6 wasn't good enough. I had to have the iPhone 6S. And Larry, I'm in this program that every time a new iPhone comes out, I get it. Now, I don't understand it, but I got it, you know. <laughs> But we've all been in periods like that. Uh, how many remember leisure suits? Can I see your hands? Leisure. How many ever wore one? Oh, my. I can't even imagine you, Brother Chuck, in a leisure suit. Wouldn't that be in a sight? You know, you still have one. It still fits? Oh, wow. None of my clothes fit back in those eras. <laughs> anyway, so we have these changes. And, you know, I talked about this. And we just need to be careful. God looks on our heart. God wants us to worship Him with all of our heart. God wants us to glorify Him in whatever we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God.
Yes? Yes. Yes. So as we come now to this petition of prayer and we get into the the Lord's Prayer and why do we pray? And, you know, uh, you know, even in our prayers not to become the status quo or uh, and, and I said this on Wednesday night. I said, do you know what causes the excitement to the church today or what should cause the excitement to the church today? People getting saved. That should thrill us to see people come to know Jesus Christ, our Savior. What keeps my excitement in the Lord, your excitement in the, in the Lord, is not change in the various programs and things that we have going on. But I find that the exciting part of change in our life is how God changes me. Understand? A part of spiritual growth. It's His Word. As I get into His Word, why it's so exciting is each and every day there's stuff in there that is just amazingly true. And it's true. It was always been true. But I'm discovering it. And it's like going on a, a journey discovering the gold that God has yet to, to unveil before us. And we discover this gold. That, my friends, will keep you excited about the Lord. Don't let something external try to stimulate you. You have God stimulate you in your heart. And it will be genuine. And it won't be an up and down aspect of life. It will be stable. We don't have much stability today. And we need more stability. And I can encourage you to find stability. To find your passion. To find your love growing. You guys that are graduating, we're going to be honoring you tonight. But going out there and earning lots of money to support your parents and all. Your parents told me to say that this morning, by the way. All right. So I just know they didn't. But 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 the, 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 you guys are in the most exciting time in your life. Most of the decisions and the major decisions are going to be made in the next seven years of your life. College, who you're going to marry, uh, what job you're going to have, where you're going to live, all these things. But I'm going to tell you something, and all that excitement of finishing college or high school, excuse me, and then going on to college and all that's a part of it, let nothing be more exciting than your pursuit of God to all of us. You'll keep your heart where it is. Do you know why 80% of young people fall away from God when they turn 18 years of age, having grown up in the church? Is they think the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And they think that there's something out there that this world has to offer. And they find out at about 25 years of age that what was out there, all it did was ruin their lives. And they come back to the Lord and so glad to hear that 80% of those that went away from God come back to the Lord. I want to encourage you, pursue God and discover who He is. You'll find the riches in your life. Oh, I look forward to what God's going to do in our graduates' lives. And tonight we get to honor them. We're proud of them. And we have some good young people here at this church. I, I've had people come to our church and they've said, Man, I didn't know there was young people like that still today. Praise God for that. We need to be pursuing God. That's what's very valuable. So as we get into this passage here of scriptures, and uh, it, uh, he, he tells us, uh, to pray, and we should understand the importance of prayer, being spirit-led in our prayers, listening uh, to God in our prayers, hearing. You know, I, I, I've said this on Wednesday night again. I don't want to reiterate everything I said on Wednesday night. You just need to come to Wednesday night and hear it for the first time, and then I don't have to repeat all this stuff. But, but on Wednesday night, I said, you know, I, I've talked about how that uh, I hear what God tells me to do. 
And my wife says, you know, sometimes people might go away thinking that it's an audible voice. It's not an audible voice. But it's almost as loud as an audible voice as he speaks to your soul, your spirit. And you hear him uh, in, in your soul, in your spirit. And, and you, you get down and you say, God, what about this? And then you listen. God, help me with this. And you listen. And a verse pops in your soul, pops in your mind. And God shares with you what He wants you to do. God knows the beginning from the end. He's a good one to ask. Amen to that? So why do we pray? God knows what we need before we pray, but it's to have that relationship with our Father on a daily basis. Thank the Lord for that. I hope you have a daily time with the Lord. I, I, I hope we haven't gone through this as just an exercise on Sunday, but you're implementing these things into your life as this is the blueprint of prayer. Jesus prayed. In fact, you know, his disciples, they said, Lord, teach us to preach. No. Teach us to minister. No. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. You know, Jesus knew the power of prayer. Here he is, God's son, and he prays. And he goes on those journeys out in the wilderness. And by the way, when they talk about recreation, that word means to recreate, to regenerate. The idea is that when you go away, that you're refreshed. Sometimes people don't come back refreshed. Sometimes they come back more exhausted than when they went away. Sometimes it's because of the trip. Isn't that right, uh, Kelly? It's good to have you and your husband back after two weeks. And they got to see some of God's creation. But that is a part of refreshment as you see God's creation and you thank the Lord and you have time of prayer and solitude and let God uh, refresh your life. Well, we see Jesus going away and praying. And there in the garden, it talks about a prayer, and many of us have sung the song, In the Garden. But in that prayer of Jesus praying in the garden, he prayed with such intensity that he had sweat drops of blood. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about that situation. And Hebrews was written to, to uh, talk about the superiority of Christ. And it says in verse 7 of chapter 5, "...who in the days of his flesh..." When he'd offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears. That's what that word cries there and pleading is, is it's a vehement cries and tears to him such that sweat drops of blood came down. Uh, who was able to save him from death and uh, was heard because of his God, godly fear, though he was the son. Yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfect, he became the author of eternal life to all who obeyed him. Now, I want you to understand that this was the only time that the Bible identifies him having sweat drops of blood. As I was reading a book that was given to me by Rose Campbell, I was reading through it and it was saying, you know, Jesus didn't pray before Pilate with sweat drops of blood. Jesus didn't pray that way before the Sanhedrin or before those that uh, scourged him with whips or nailed him to the cross. When he hung there on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Then he said, it is finished. 
Can we understand that oftentimes when Jesus prayed, it was prepare him for what lied ahead. And him praying there with such fervency before God and asking for God in this situation for what lied ahead, which was the separation between he and his father would have never been taken place in all of eternity. And all as God gave him the answers to his prayer, he says, thy will be done. On the flip side of that night, as Jesus was praying in the garden, what was his disciples doing? They were sleeping. Uh, Zach Eshelman, uh, some of you know him. He was our intern about five or six years ago, was it, I think? And, and all he preached a message, when Christians sleep. Understand, there, there was a difference between the way the Lord went to the cross and suffered on the cross and the way His disciples responded at the cross. Do you see the difference? Jesus had prepared Himself in His prayer and coming to the Father for what lies ahead, just like we should on a daily basis. Get up in the morning. In the morning will I cry unto Thee. I will make my prayers unto Thee in the morning. So we don't know what lies ahead. We get our hearts in tune with the Lord for whatever lies ahead. As Jesus had prayed and God, that settled in his heart and all that was going to come before him. He went to the cross courageous. His disciples were sleeping and they ran away in fear. Can I say that prayer changes how we deal with what comes down in the day? Get that? Understand that. May God help us. He prayed. And so we see this uh, here uh, brought out. And, and so we've been talking about this, this aspect of, of our, our, our Father's prayer. And why don't we just quote it together? As if you're there in uh, Matthew chapter 6, different translations have it different ways. But we'll kind of quote it the way that I learned it. How that sound? And most of you learned it this way. Let's quote it together. Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. This is the blueprint of prayer. And even though I grew up knowing this prayer and saying this prayer, oftentimes repeating this prayer as, as, uh, as, as a part of the uh, of, of way I grew up, we should never take for granted the privilege of calling Him our Father. He is not the Father of everybody. Is that not correct? Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 6? He says, you are of your father, the devil. You know, before you are saved, you have a father. He's the prince of this world. He's called Satan. He's called the devil. And yes, he can do all kinds of amazing things. And in fact, Satan worshipers pray to him. And he's able to pour out the mother load on your life and help pack your bags. But you will not like the destination. 
Oh, the journey might seem to be easier than that of a Christian. But the end is not worth even comparing. Psalm 73, the psalmist says, man, he says, when I consider how that the heathens, they have all this going on in their lives, and I look at all this in their lives, he says, man, it was painful for me. He says, man, I struggle, but I look at what's going on in this world, and it's painful, such that I don't even want to admit it, but I realize it. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and I understood their end. Should we ever be jealous over what the world has or covetous of what the world has? If they don't have Jesus, they have nothing compared to what you have. And we can refer to him as our father because we have been born again. The privilege, our father. Now, I say that because... Understand, as Jesus is bringing this out, as I've already said, that that concept of our Father was very foreign to His audience. Three-fourths of the Bible is the Old Testament. And when you see Father mentioned in the Old Testament, usually it is in reference to a human father. But whenever it's mentioned about God the Father, and maybe less than 15 times in the Old Testament, it is in reference to God the Father, to the nation, not to individuals. That's why they're called the children of Israel. And they acted like children, didn't they? But you come into the New Testament and here in Matthew chapter 6, he says, our father. And you find that this is the, the reference of the, of the reverence and the respect and the relationship talking about father of heaven. And that's why he says, don't call any man father in that way in this world. And it is used 275 times in the New Testament. Our father. What a privilege. Do we understand the privilege that we have? Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Daniel, all those great patriarchs never were able to call him father. But you and I can call him father if we have been born again. Amen to that? I hope that will encourage you and how much it should be uh, to us in every aspect. And so last time we talked about what happened to the screen up there? Is it still up there? No. There it is. Our daily bread, our provisions. If we need them, then they matter to our heavenly Father. And uh, whether we're in America or wherever else, we don't ever want to take for granted His provisions. I believe if the Lord tarries, this world has not seen the disasters that are about to come upon this world. And I believe that the Lord is imminent in His return. He could come back today. And amen to that. But the Bible says that in the end times, there's going to be earthquakes, pestilence, and famine. If the Lord tarries, and these things... By the way, I believe the Bible talks about them as the beginning of the birth pains in Romans chapter 8. And if we had a nuclear disaster here in America... What would happen to the fabric of people here in this country? It'd be chaotic. I don't think we are prepared, nor do we have any imagination of what it will mean when we ask God, God, give me my daily bread.
this aspect as he turns the corner now from our Father which art in heaven and hallowed be thy name and thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now he turns this and talking about our daily needs which is talking about our provisions. Talking about pardon the next one and then the protection. These things are on a daily basis. Too often we uh, come to church on a weekly basis and sometimes that's the relationship that we've established with him. It ought not to be a weekly relationship. It ought to be a daily relationship. So may God help us uh, to be thankful. And I talked about this in quite a, a lot of detail last week, if you were here last week. If you weren't, I hope you will listen to it on the web or get a copy of the message talking about how thankful we should be for His provisions. Then we go into pardon. And so as you go down to verse 12, He says, And forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we forgive our debtors. Now, I want to clear up something so that we, we, we don't misunderstand uh, what he's talking about. Because he's saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my failures. Now, I thought that when I got saved, I was forgiven. Yes or no? Yes. And now, in this relationship of a father to a child, he's saying, forgive us. What's happening here? Is there a forgiveness that takes place at salvation and then a forgiveness on our journey as a child of the king? Yes or no? Yes. yes. And it's brought out by two different Greek words. It's amazing. When God forgives us at salvation, he uses the word that has the root word keros. Or charis, which is the root word for grace. It's the root word for gift. It's the root word for forgiveness. When God saves me, He pardons me. And He forgives me. And it's in the aorist tense, which means He forgives me once and for all. I am forgiven. And I will never stand in His sight to be facing the judgment, the eternal penalty for sin. It's been washed away. It's been put as far as the east is from the west. I do not have to have that again happen in my life. You know, some people have looked at these verses of forgiveness and thinking they need to be born again and again and again. I looked it up this morning in the uh, Greek, uh, Brother Patrick, and uh, in there uh, where Jesus and Nicodemus had that encounter at midnight. And Nicodemus says, you know, how do we get into heaven and all this? And Jesus said this, you must be born again. And when he says it, Mike, it's in the aorist tense, it's in the aorist passive which is interesting, that means once and for all, and it's not something you do to yourself, it's what God does to you. He's the one who births us into this new life, and it is once for all. After I got saved, I did things wrong, and I thought, man, I need to ask Jesus to come into my heart again, and again, and again. Finally, I realized, no, I am forgiven. My eternal destination is settled, and He says, you will never perish but there's the second word of forgiveness, which is the word that's used here in this aspect of forgiveness. It is the word to let go or to release. And that idea, and in this context and other places where this word is used, it's talking about this relationship to release the consequences of sin. Because there are still consequences of in this 
life as a born again believer that God will deal with me as his child in that relationship. It's the same word that we come in here in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins. This, by the way, is in the present tense. In other words, as a born-again believer, what I didn't realize is that as I'm walking through, I'd step in the poo of life. I've used this illustration before. Remember me talking about running into the cesspool and, you know, missing the wood pile that was next to it? I fell into the cesspool and my parents saw that and they said, you need to clean off the poo of life before you come into the house. I was still their child, but I needed that kind of cleansing. It's, this, it's the idea there in 1 John 1, 7, where it talks about cleansing there. As I have been forgiven, I will not stand in the judgment seat for the eternal penalty of sin that's been washed away. That's what took place on the cross. But I, as I walk as a born again believer, I step in the poo of life. And I recognize that because I am his child. And so I say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Because the flesh is stepping in the pool of life. Does that make sense? It's a different word for cleansing. It's a letting go or getting, getting rid of this, which is on the flesh. Because the flesh is a part of you still until you die and go to be with the Lord. He is faithful and just to forgive us. Yes, to let it go. We're His children. Now... John chapter 13 is a good example of that. I've used this before. But remember when Jesus went to wash the disciples' feet. And Peter says, oh, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. And Peter says, hey, well, if that's the case, then wash all of me. And Jesus gives this marvelous truth. I'm sure Peter didn't catch it as they didn't catch a lot of things. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. Isn't that a marvelous story? When I got saved, God gave me cleansing. I've been declared clean because of Christ. But now as I step in the pool of life, I ask God to forgive me. Catch that. Understand that. This will be an ongoing. This is actually the evidence of being born again because you recognize before I got saved, I didn't recognize all the pool of life because I was in the pool of life. You see what I'm saying? So, by the way, if we say and this is the aspect of sinless perfectionism, if we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You know what I discover is the closer I get to the, to the light and, and understanding more about Jesus Christ, the more I understand how many things I have failed the Lord in in my life. That's a part of our progress of being born again. And it's interesting. You say, well, why do I do it? If I'm going to stand before God and I'm cleansed and everything, well, why do I want to confess my sins? That way he takes care. You've taken care of it. You've asked God to forgive it and he will forgive you. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says that if you will not deal with your sin, then he will deal with it. How many would rather have God deal with your sin or you deal with your sin? See, I want to deal with it. And he is interesting, Carol. He says it this way. He says that God will deal with it so that you don't have your part in the uh, with, a, with, with that perish with the world. 
In other words, because God loves us and we're born again believers, that if I don't deal with my sin, God will chastise me because he loves me. That's one of the evidence of being born again. Those people that continue to walk in the world and walk in the sinful conduct of life and don't have the consequences of a loving father dealing with them, God says they're not even saved. You read this in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, for whom he loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receives. Have I had uh, been taken to the woodshed by God? Yeah. Guess what? I'm glad I can get on my knees and say, oh, God, forgive me. And by the way, that's asking forgiveness here is not, oh, God, I, I messed up. Please forgive me. I'm just like everybody. Else. You know, you know, Jerry Vanderbilt, boy, he really messed up. And if you can forgive Jerry Vanderbilt, then you should be able to forgive me. That's a lame way. When he uses the word confess there in 1 John 1, 9, it says, you say it the way God sees it. We ought not to, I mean, today's society is trying to make light sin. You make light sin, you'll not change. You understand how it grieves a holy, loving father, and we fall in love with God, then sin has a repulsive, repulsive uh, taste to it. So here he says, forgive us our sins, what? As we forgive others. Interesting. You know, God wants us to have the right relationship with him, yes? Does he want us to have a right relationship with people? He surely does. And for all of us here this morning who have been forgiven so much, How is it that we could hold a grudge against somebody else or someone else irritates us and it makes us mad? I want to encourage you here to make sure that you deal with other people the way you want God to deal with you. When I recognize how much God has forgiven me of, then I find it so much easier to forgive others. We make mistakes, don't we? Everyone in this room makes mistakes. Well, he's not grateful for what I did for him. How many times have we been ungrateful for what God has done for us? How many times did we say, God, give us safety on this trip? We went on vacation and God gave us safety there and back. And we never thank him for the safety. How is it that we look at other people's failures more than we would look at our own failures? You know, Donna, you were such a good example in the restaurant the other day with the man that got really irate at us. And I was about ready to deck him. You're not going to talk to one of our sweet ladies like that. And Donna turned around and says, will you please forgive me? And I don't know whether he did or not. Did he say anything afterwards? I don't know. Do you know, by the way, he did say thank you. Praise God for that. Yeah. When someone asks you to forgive them, should you respond back? says, yes, I will. And oftentimes I have to say after that, well, will you forgive me? Because oftentimes I have the same stinking attitude going on. We had, um, we've been having some issues with our camp situation. And, and, uh, and I used a phrase, which to me was just a, a phrase. I won't tell you what it is, but I mean, it wasn't a four-letter word or anything like that. It was just a phrase that you, you would all say, it's just a phrase expression of how you feel. 
Well, it offended this, this one lady, and she wrote me and back, and she says, how can you say you want to glorify God and use that phrase? Apparently, you don't worship the same God I do. And I wrote her back. Donna, you'd be proud of me. And I said, you know, I can see where you're coming from. Will you please forgive me? Two weeks passed, and she didn't write back. So I wrote another message. I said, you know, two weeks ago I asked you if you would just forgive me. I understand where you're coming from. Will you please let me know that you forgive me? To this day, she's not written back. Then another person got on board and said the same thing to not only to me as an individual, to, but to two different boards. And I wrote her and I said, will you please forgive me? To this day, she's not written back. If someone asks you to forgive them, we forgive them. Would you not agree? You know, here in uh, Matthew chapter 18... Amazing story here. And it says, then came Peter to him. You know, Peter, he's, he's always sticking his foot in his mouth, kind of like what we all do at times, you know. Uh, he said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother's sins against me? And, 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 I for, and, I, and I'm going to forgive him. Uh, maybe seven times. That sounds like, boy, that's a big number. And by the way, this is in, I think, in one place it talks about in one day. Can you imagine trying to forgive somebody seven times in one day and they messed up seven times in the same day? Peter really thought he was spiritual. And Jesus said to him, he says, I, I don't say unto thee until seven times, but, you know, if you're going to calculate this, go ahead and count up 490 times. That's a whole bunch. Would you not agree? And then Jesus goes into this parable. He says, therefore... The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents of silver. Does that sound like a lot? It's 375 tons. 375 tons. Equivalent today, maybe to $10 million, give or take a million. You know, once they get up there in those numbers, you know, what's a million dollars? You know, you, 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 know, you hear the government say, man, we're, we're only $1.3 trillion in debt. What's another $5 billion in perspective? But understand the perspective of this. Guess who he's talking about owing this king this amount of money? He's talking about us. This is what we owe God because of our sin. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him. You could put your name in there. Who owed him 10,000 talents. And, uh, but as for as much as he had not to pay, can you pay $10 million? Can you pay 375 tons? Uh, his Lord commanded that he be sold, his wife, his children, all that he had in the payment to be made. His servant fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Do you think the Lord had a little bit more sense than to think that this guy could come up with $10 million? He knew he could. But 27 says, Then the Lord of his servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him his debt. 
But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. That's a hundred days of salary. Maybe $10,000. Now, that's still no small chunk of change, uh, Brother Nick. Would it be if someone owed you $10,000, you'd want to get paid also. Anybody else? If you want to give up $10,000, please let me know. He says, and he laid hands on him and took him with his, by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. His fellow servant fell down at his feet and bought, besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Does that sound familiar? But he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. His fellow servants saw what was done and were very sorry. They'd heard that this man was forgiven $10 million. Now he's not willing to go out there and forgive this guy that owes him $10,000. They went back and they told the master in verse 32, Then his Lord, after he called him, said unto him, Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt, because thou desirest uh, me. Shouldst not thou also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And the Lord was wrought. And delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. What's this parable about? Who was Jesus giving this parable to? To Peter and his disciples and to us today. We all make mistakes. We all fail. Do you see the attitude here that God wants us to have? To love our brothers and sisters no matter what goes on. And if you have aught this morning, I encourage you to get that right. It could be a family member. It could be a neighbor. It could be a church member. God talks about this. So likewise shall your heavenly Father do also unto them, if ye from your heart forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. How many would say that's clear? Okay. How many say, you know, I know this. But do we practice it? You know, not only to hear the truth, but to practice the truth. Sometimes our flesh raises its ugly head. You know, in this camp situation, can I just say this in this camp situation? God allowed it to be a trial in my life. Uh, Brother Drew, you've been involved with this and all. It's a trial in my life. If I'm willing to swallow my own pride in all these things that are taking place. It takes place, doesn't it, Donna? You've got to swallow your pride rather than deck the guy. May we bring, be more like God. When he was hanging there on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, looking diligently. Keep this in mind. Understand this. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. God has given you grace such that he has forgiven you all of your sins, past, present, and future. He's given you a home in heaven. Don't fail in grace to others, lest the root of bitterness springs up and it troubles you, and thereby many be defiled. I've seen this in churches. I've seen this in families, in marriages. Oh, if we would just understand these principles. Ephesians chapter 4, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be you kind in other words, don't, don't just get rid of it. Well, okay, I'm not going to be mad at him, but I'm not going to talk to him either. I've heard that. I've heard that. Listen, you haven't forgiven them. 
you still have malice in your heart if you're not going to treat them with kindness and pray. Doesn't the, in the Lord's Prayer it says, pray for those who despitefully use you? Yes? yes. Okay. Am I stepping on toes? Are you saying, boy, preacher, you better finish up because I, I want to get out of here. I don't want to hear this. I'm telling you what, there's a lot of people who are in prison in their soul because they have torment there because they will not forgive and they will not follow these principles. And be you kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, Brother Mike, this word forgiveness here, it's interesting. This word forgiveness is the grace forgiveness. It's only used like 15 to 18 times in the Bible. And God is saying to us now as born again believers, not just to let go of something, but to have grace in this forgiveness. And it's in the present tense, which means as I'm walking on my life, I'm forgiving. I'm forgiving. There's no end to that forgiveness. Don't count up 490 times. You just keep forgiving. That is grace forgiveness. Even as God... For Christ's sake, what? Hath forgiven you. I am forgiven. Therefore, I need to forgive. Amen to that. Proverbs 19, good sense, makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. When it says his glory, he's talking about you now. Oh, yes, it does bring him glory. But it's also a good quality of your life. May God help us with that. You know, we didn't get to the last one about protection. I did the first service, but I got a little carried away in this service. I'm sorry. But he says, and deliver us from temptation. Uh, You'll have to listen to the end of the first service to catch that one. All right? Would you do that? You're going to miss it. The idea, bottom line, is... This is daily provisions, daily pardon, daily protection. In Jabez's prayer, he says, keep us from evil. And I pray that on a daily basis, Mike. Lord, keep me from the evil that's out there. You don't want Satan to ambush you. And he'll ambush you when he turns a trial. By the word, the word trial and temptation is the same word. We make it a temptation when we are lured. One, one guy wrote, and let me just read it to you real quick. Do you, you all have about two minutes? Or, or is there something more important than this protection? These uh, allurements, temptation stirs the blood and inflames the imagination. If we were revolted by it, it would not be a temptation at all, right? There are some things that don't bother me, don't tempt me. There are other things that do tempt me. This is what this writer says. If temptation brought chains to bind us, we might resist on our own. Instead, it brings flowers and perfume and promises good times and satisfaction. It bribes us with wealth and popularity and entices us with promises of prosperity and unbound freedom. Only God can keep us from its charm. Deliver us from evil. Father, thank you so much for the message today that you've given to us in the Word of God. And Lord, there's just so much more to be said here. And Lord, may we take this as as a blueprint of how we pray. And that Lord, we take our prayers seriously. There are some things that ought to be a part of our daily prayers. 
ought to always be coming to you, that reverence of our Father. Hallowed be thy name. Understanding that the kingdom is so much important of our lives and your will to be accomplished. And Father, that you would provide us our, our, our needs and that we come to you. And, and then we ask you for, for that givenness, that pool of life that we step into. And throughout the day, we'll even be praying that. And Lord, how many times we've, we've walked in it and yet you've cleansed us and you pick us up and you hold us and, and you love us in spite of those things that we failed in. And Lord, how important it is for us to transcend that forgiveness to our brothers and sisters and family members and neighbors and all those people. Lord God, speak to our hearts. Help us not to be just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. And then Lord, we ask for your protection. Oh God, in this congregation, Lord, we ask for your protection because the old devil is trying to ambush people and they don't see it. They lose out. Oh, God, protect us. Lord, keep us from the foolishness of our ways. And Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you today, help them to get saved before it's eternally too late. Oh, to come to know a loving Father like you, who loves us so infinitely that you gave your Son to be our Savior. Thank you, Father. Help us to be more in love with you than the things of this world or ourselves. Thank you for this wonderful model prayer that we can study together. For truly thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. We're going to sing page number 38. If I could remember from the first service, I would have had that down. But 38, I hope this morning has been an encouragement. I hope it's been convicting to us. I'm telling you what, I'm, I've, I'm going through things and you're going through things. God's Word helps us to know how to go through those things. May we apply God's Word. Let's stand to our feet. Grace greater than our sin. If there's decisions to be made, I hope you've already made them. I hope you are written down how you're going to deal with this when we leave this place. But if you need counsel, you need to come to the Lord or whatever it might be. This is an invitation time or visit with us before you leave. Page number 38. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder on Calvary, there was a blood. we glad? Aren't we glad? We serve a wonderful God. How come the devil tries to make this world so appealing? May we be in love with him. If there are other decisions to be made, I encourage you to make them before you leave. Tonight, we're going to be celebrating our graduation. We've got some cake. We're going to hear some speeches tonight also from our graduates. So you come back tonight at 5. There's other things that are going on. There's a softball league that's taking place there at Eugene Christian Fellowship. There's a schedule on the back back there. And then the Mommy and Me is the pool. 
And then next Sunday is Father's Day. We don't have any Sunday night service, but the, sun, the Monday after Father's Day, Vacation Bible, Bible School starts. And we're going to have about 150. Pastor Dan already asked us to be praying. We have precious lives that are going to come here. How we want to see them come to know Jesus as their Savior. There's going to be a decoration on Thursday and on Saturday at 9 o'clock right here. If you can help with that, this auditorium will be transformed. Next Sunday, you will not recognize it. Some of you have been here before on Father's Day. And then uh, signing up for camp, either as a camper or as a counselor or kitchen help. Please help us with that. It's right around. I mean, everything's right around the corner. You all know that, don't you? Allergies are almost over with, too, by the way. They started early this week, about another week, and you'll be free from allergies, all right? You heard it here first, but don't, still, don't, don't stone the prophet if it's not true, though. <laughs> Doug needs some landscaping help. Oh, my, we've got a lot of things uh, taking place. Then all the other announcements in the bulletin, there's just a uh, busy time. Would you be praying for us as we make some very important decisions as we uh, go and uh, so many areas that are out there? May God be glorified. You are dismissed.